0: Our hearts this morning before you. We recognize that you are a God who looks right into our hearts. And, and so, though we've joined our voices this morning and we've together with our lips said that we always hunger for you, we have to humbly admit what you already know to be true about our hearts, and that is that they are easily divided easily drawn away by lesser things. And we're so easily taken and intoxicated by the things of this world, consumed by personal agenda, driven by pride and arrogance and our own ways. And so give us perspective this morning, Father. Thank you for your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword and that cuts and divides Help us now to look into the mirror of your word and to be careful to make the adjustments necessary to learn the lessons foundational to a successful life of living for you. Lest, like the rich fool in our story this morning in our scripture passage, lest we end our lives and look back and recognize we've been driven and motivated by all of the wrong things. Take our hearts, take our minds, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would have great freedom to work within us. Thank you for the great privilege now of opening our Bibles, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, applying ourselves to the study of your word. Amen. Well, we all know their names very well. And for some who are more contemporary, we even know what they look like. We know their names. We know what they look like. We know how they dressed. In fact, some of them have and still do even highly impact the fashion world. Some of you even dress like them. Books and articles and magazines cover them and write about them. They highly pique our interest, and for some of them, groups of photographers follow them around. And we're interested in just about everything they do and say. You even know their names. Some of us even name our baby girls after them. Who are they? Famous wives. Famous wives. You know their names, don't you? Names like Nancy, and Laura, and Hillary, and Victoria, and Princess Di, and Jacqueline, and the list goes on and on. Perhaps ladies more than men are interested in some of these famous wives. You know, if we were to go back into history, we could make a a long list, couldn't we? We would add names like Elizabeth and others. But this morning, as I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 4, we find here one of the most controversial and talked about famous wives that history has ever known. We don't know what she wore, we don't know what her name is, and we don't know what she looks like. We just know who her husband was, and it's the wife of Cain. It's interesting, and I want to begin with Cain's wife this morning by way of introduction and laying a groundwork for the text that we're going to study. But she's an interesting lady because she is the reason that some people say that they don't believe the Bible is true. Isn't that interesting? We know so little about her. But skeptics will often point to her To try to embarrass Bible believing Christians. In fact, and some of you know the story a little bit about the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. It happened near Dayton, Tennessee, where a Bible believing born again attorney named William Jennings Bryan was the prosecutor in what is now, of course, very famous. They've even made a, a movie about it called Inherit the Wind. It's called the Scopes Trial, and during this trial, the issue was whether or not it would be legal in the state of Tennessee to teach evolution in the science classroom and to include the theory of evolution in their textbooks. So whether or not evolution could or should be taught in the classroom caught the attention of the world. The year was 1925. And there is a now famous ACLU attorney of all people, ACLU was active even then, a man named Clarence Darrow. He captivated his audience, he captivated the world, it was covered on nearly every front page of the newspapers of the day, and it ended up winning him the case when he was able to literally embarrass and discredit William Jennings Bryan on the stand by asking him in detail none other than for him to explain where did Cain get his wife. We actually have the actual transcript from the trial, and I'll not read much of it, but I'll read enough for you to know how difficult and awkward it must have been for William Jennings Bryant, who was a born-again Christian and was a fine man hot sweaty day the courtroom was packed the windows were open the flies are buzzing people are standing around looking in the windows reporters are there copiously taking notes William Jennings Bryan is on the stand this bible believer Clarence Darrow looks at him and he says did you ever discover where Cain got his wife this is an actual transcript of what was said Mr. Bryan said no sir I leave the agnostics to hunt for her You have never found out. I have never tried to find out. You have never tried to find who Cain's wife was? No. The Bible says he got one, doesn't it? Daryl went on. Were there other people on the earth at that time? Brian, I cannot say. You cannot say. Did you ever, did that ever enter your consideration? Brian. Never bothered me. There were no others recorded, but Cain got a wife. That is what the Bible says. Where she came from, you do not know. And we'll stop there. As William Jennings, Bryan squirmed and as the newspaper reporters wrote, it's given fodder through the years for people to look at the Bible and to say, see, that's just a crazy book. In Genesis chapter 4, we have before us as our text this morning, the last half of the chapter, and you'll remember if you were here last week, that we have the story of where Cain killed Abel in the first first part of this passage. In the last half of this chapter, we have the interesting genealogy of Cain. We might call them the Cainite people. Let's read from verse 17 on. Let's talk a little bit more about Cain's wife. Where she must have come from, and why it's okay to believe that. But as we read, I also want to ask you to look deeply into the passage and look for some clues, look for nuance. What is it that these people were all about? And I also want to challenge and remind the fathers and the grandfathers here today that our decisions and choices have a great deal of impact on the coming generations. Chapter 4, verse 17, Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehehuel, and Mehehuel was the father of Methusael, and Methusael was the father of Lamech. I always picture moms hollering for their little boys, you know, empty the trash. I think she said, you know, it's like different time, different names. Lamech, verse 19, married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible gives us very limited information, doesn't it, about this pre-Diluvian, pre-flood group of people. You see, very shortly, the world is going to get populated by chapter 6. There's possibly even billions of people on earth by chapter 6. I'll read a clip in a minute and explain that. If I get time. But right now, we go from chapter one, creation, to chapter two, creation of man and woman, and chapter three, the fall. Chapter four, we jump right into immediately Cain killing Abel because Cain refuses to do what is right in the sight of God, verses six through eight. Cain then is under a curse. We've talked about what a rebellious man he was, and we listed 13 characteristics of this man who was far from God last week. What a challenge for us to not identify in those ways with Cain. And then we get to verse 17 after Cain, fulfilling his judgment, goes out from the Lord's presence, verse 16, and lives in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then it just says, Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. That's all it says about Cain's wife, and she's one of the most famous wives in the world. Isn't that interesting? Well, what do we know? How do we make a decision? And part of the reason that that grabs people is because we all know that immediately that for Cain to have have a wife If, indeed, Adam and Eve were the only ones through whom the human race began, then his wife, it had to mean that he entered into some kind of an incestual marriage, and that's pretty hard for us to process. And, in fact, it's a little bit embarrassing for Bible-believing Christians to say, yeah, I believe that. But I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to be embarrassed to believe that. That is what happened, and that is how it went. And it wasn't that big of a deal. It's a big deal to us now. But from their perspective and in their time, I think it worked out rather fine. Let's ask ourselves what we do know about what's happening. Because this is such a choking point for people and skeptics love to make hay with it, I thought it would be good for us to take just a minute and talk about Cain and his wife. First of all, I want to affirm without going back and repreaching the messages that we've already had that we would maintain that the Bible clearly teaches that all living people come from Adam and Eve. There were no other sources for humans. There was not another group of people. And sometimes people will draw a conclusion, or critics will, will point out that when Cain killed Abel, and if you build a case that it was just Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and then when Cain kills Abel, that he was immediately worried about people on the earth, that there were other people there somehow. And they create another group of people. I don't believe that. I do believe that all people come from Adam and Eve. In verse 3, we have a clue of chapter 4 here where it says just a little phrase. And remember, we're working with limited information, limited revelation here. We can just take the Bible for what it says. But it's not difficult to see in verse 3 of chapter 4 how the verse begins. And in the course of time... We don't really have a timeline given to us, do we? And the more you look at it and the more you ponder it, the more it's entirely possible that Cain and Abel might have been 100 years old before Cain killed Abel. We sometimes picture maybe 16, 17-year-old kids. You didn't come to the second service last week. It didn't go well. You keep it up. So in verse 3, we have that, that... inference that time had gone by in verse verse 14b of chapter 4 where i referenced already and we're just hitting the high points on this rather than bog down on this point but just to reference it today you are driving me from the land cain said to the lord when he was cursed and he said i will be hidden from your presence i will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me now that's not a lot of information either And you could say that that's even about developing people groups, and that's probably true, but it's very likely that that's also a reference to the fact that Cain knew that there were already people out in the the areas. There were people who had developed. Chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 say that when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, and in his own image, and he named him Seth. Verse 4 says, after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. We'll talk more about the longevity of people for the sake of time next week when we get into chapter 5 and Seth's lineage. This week, we want to focus on Cain's lineage. But if you stop and think about it, We get out of, there's not necessarily a chronological order of events happening here. Moses, as he writes this, is inserting information. Some of you have heard of the Jewish historian Josephus. Now this is tradition, and Josephus wrote it as a a tradition from Jewish history. It's not factual, we don't know for sure. But do you know what Josephus recorded that Jewish tradition said, how many children Adam and Eve had? 33 sons and 23 daughters. With longevity, it would be entirely possible. And it's also possible that after two or three generations, that with marriage of brothers and sisters, and then nieces and nephews get in the picture, and I'm not suggesting that there was um, inter-family relations in, in the sense of, I think that there was by and large monogamy because in our story of Cain's, it is noted that a man finally took two wives, and I would take it that that was noteworthy and that that was when that first happened. That up until that point, they lived in obedience to Genesis chapter 2, the last few verses of that chapter, where God clearly told Adam and Eve that a man was to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, singular, and that that was understood, and that's what they did. Let me read to you out of Henry Morris's book, I was out at the Creation Museum this summer. I encourage you to get out there. It's uh, outside of Louisville, Kentucky. It's easy to find and access. And um, a very interesting day for you if you'll go out to Ken Ham. Some of you know that name. He's a creation researcher. He's a a fine, godly man. And they're taking a, a strong stand and are under fire continually for holding to the literal story of Genesis and Creation. And as we've referenced earlier in our Genesis messages, that it's hard to be seen as much more of a moron in our world today than to deny evolution and believe in creation. And so you have to be prepared if you're going to say, I believe this stuff, to really believe it, and then that's the way it is. But I picked up out there in their bookstore a very helpful text for me, The Genesis Record, a scientific and devotional commentary on the Book of Beginnings by Henry Morris, who's a creation researcher. At the risk of uh, some of you catching a nap early, let me read a couple paragraphs. Can I do that? Listen closely. Although we have no exact figures, it is possible to make a reasonable guess as to how rapidly the total human population developed. "...since according to the record in Genesis 5, each named patriarch lived many hundreds of years and begat sons and daughters, it is reasonable and very conservative to assume that each family had, on the average, at least six children." Three sons and three daughters. Okay, That's what they're going to use for just a mathematical uh, projection. Let's say that as long as these people lived and they had children and begat sons, that they averaged three sons and three daughters." If it is further assumed that on the average, these children grew to maturity, married and began to have children of their own by the time their parents were 80 years old and that the parents lived through an average of five such generations, got it, okay, that they went through five cycles of this or 400 years, which is very possible, okay, according to this, and we'll talk more, like I said, next week, be sure and be back for more of this then it can easily be calculated that the earth had acquired within its first 800 years presumably approximately the lifetime of Cain as a minimum 800 years a population of at least 120,000 people isn't that interesting i'll stop reading there right now for the sake of time and information but My point is simply this, that if you do some approximate math problems, that after just a few generations, even if at the time that Cain got a wife, there wasn't, and I wouldn't think that there were, 120,000 people on the earth, after just a few generations, it sounds like a short time, but 400 years, but only half the lifetime of Adam, there were at least a minimum of 120,000 people on the earth, and that's calculating just three boys and three girls being born. And, and if they did like Adam, tradition says, and had 33 sons and 23 daughters, how exponentially the earth would have developed. And so that brings us back to the intro question here, which is where did Cain get his wife, which is he obviously married a sister or a niece. And yes, it was an incestual marriage by definition. So then you say, well, how come that wasn't sin? Because in Leviticus, chapter 18 through 20, God clearly condemned incestual relations. I ask you, which book comes first, Genesis or Leviticus? Genesis. And in fact, it's going to be about 1,250 years at least before Leviticus is written, or more. So you say, well, what about mutations? I thought you'd never ask. Because I've been wanting to say something about mutations. Isn't it interesting that people who build their whole case for the development and evolution of humankind on mutation are so critical of people in the Bible who say that people could get married and not have mutant children or that their mutant children couldn't amount to something. You see, the gene pool was pure at this time. There's just Adam and Eve. There was no corruption in their gene pool they hadn't married we're all in it when you go back to noah and then everybody starts marrying there's all these genes and cr- come together and i'm no geneticist but you all know that janet had a kidney transplant and early on when we were married we went in lancaster pennsylvania where we ministered we went and met with a geneticist we knew about her disease and we wanted to figure out what the odds were that that would be passed on that is a hereditary genetic disorder there was none of that at the time of Adam and Eve. They did not pass on any genetic disorder to Cain or Abel. Now, as they began to marry and as the generations went by, it began to come. All of a sudden, somebody was born with one ear lower than the other. And then they noticed that their baby had one ear lower than the other. And then when that kid with one ear lower than the other married this girl from over on the other side of town, who is, of course, like an eighth cousin by now, they notice that their nose was crooked. And so the genetic, genetic characteristics start getting passed on. But listen, it is not ridiculous or preposterous at all to believe that Adam and Eve were pure genetically, and it took generations. And that is why we also see the wisdom of God in, at a multiple layer when we get to the children of Israel, because what was he doing with them when he laid out the law in Leviticus? They had moved into, sounds familiar, the land of Canaan, a wicked people. And guess what? They were an incestual people. They were a wicked people, sinful, careless, horrible people. And God said, A, I want you to be different than the people around you. He's still calling out a holy people, isn't he? And one of the things he said is, you don't go marrying your sister, you don't go marrying your aunt, you don't marry your uncle, you don't do any of that stuff. I want to preserve marriage and the home. Number one, he wanted to make them a distinct people. Number two, by this time, the genetic pool in, all of human, in the human race is becoming very corrupt. Sin and disorder has brought disease And the genetic pool is now convoluted and complicated. And so you now do have a problem when close relatives marry of the odds being very great that you will have a a mutated child at some level in a negative way. And so God is not only making them distinct, but he's also then protecting them from disease and the disorder of this mutation problem that was now developing. Thirdly, I would suggest that the reason that he stopped them from marrying inside the family is simply the sin and the circle of sin is now so great and so deep that imagine what happens in a society and we still see it in in the sinful, wicked side of society, how horrible it is, and we'll reference it in just a minute when guys marry multiple wives or marry people or mistreat their children or close relatives In a marital, sexual type way. It's a horrible thing. So, going back to Genesis, to Cain's wife, you don't have to be embarrassed. You'll get laughed at. You guys that are in school over at Jefferson High School and you're in 11th grade biology too and you're talking about genetics and mutation and somehow Genesis comes up and all this, because I've been there, I've had it happen. And you suggest that Cain married his sister, the whole class will laugh and the teacher will make fun of you. But you're not stupid. Clearly, the Bible says it, and that's partly what William Jennings Bryan was doing on the stand. He didn't know that he had to defend the Bible. He lived in a society and a culture that believed the Bible, and as he sat there, he let the Bible speak for itself. You mean you haven't researched where Cain got his wife? No. The Bible said he had a wife. That's enough for me. You're looked at as a fool if you take the Bible at that level of faith. But really, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. Okay? And you don't have to be embarrassed to say, yeah, yeah. Cain married his sister or married a niece. And he probably had that wife all of his life for as long as they lived, for a long time. And they had many children. And the cousins married each other. And the longer it went, the wider the pool got until finally God said, that's enough. But one of the things that's happening here, as you can see, is when God commanded them to propagate and fill the earth, It's only logical that it would fill very rapidly with this system and that God allowed it for this period of time. I don't think you're stupid if you believe that. So there you go. That's um, Cain's wife. Well, let's look at the rest of this text. It's interesting, isn't it? Cain lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And to Enoch was born Ired, and to Ired was the father of Mehehal, and Mehehal was the father of Meshushiel, and Meshushiel was the father of Lamech. And we already read this once, and then we see that Lamech had two wives, and that his sons that he had developed were inventors, and then he has two wives, and he kills a man, and we don't have a lot of information, do we? But I'd like to suggest that we have enough information to see a trend. We have enough information to see the order of society, the direction that society is going. And as we finish up in these few minutes, I'd like to suggest that there are five characteristics of a godless society that are seen here in this text. Last week we saw 13 characteristics of a godless man in Cain. Let me just suggest here very rapidly and without a whole lot of comment, five characteristics of a godless society. And by the way, let me ask you as you listen to be thinking, where have I seen this? Where have I seen another godless society that manifests these qualities? Because you see, going into it, we have a man, Cain, who has rejected God, right? You remember the story, Cain, if you just do what's right, you'll be accepted. And Cain says, no. He's off on his own now and we see that the very first thing is that Cain is doing what? God had said, Cain, you're going to go out and you're going to be a wanderer. And what does Cain do? He lays with his wife. She becomes pregnant. And Cain was doing what? He was building a city and he named it after his son. Listen, I have to believe that if Abel was alive, a God-fearing, God-centered man whose universe revolved around God and this is speculative it's not in the text but you have to believe that if Abel had lived and had a son and was building a city he would have named it after some characteristic of God it seems like doesn't it first of all Cain is doing what God you're not going to tell me I'm wandering around the desert forever I'm going to build a city we don't know anything about this city we don't know what it was whether it's some mud huts on the side of a riverbank. But what do we see? We see, number one, we see that, that, he, that he represents a people who are characterized by, number one, a lifestyle of self-reliance. A lifestyle of self-reliance. God said, you're cursed. Go wander the wilderness. Cain says, I'm not wandering. I don't care what you say to me. Like a kid that you spank and he refuses to cry. And he's trying to build a city. And he names the city after his son. And to me, it just really smacks of a Cain-centeredness. It just really seems to me that Cain has not softened his heart towards God at all. And he is characterized by self-reliance. Verse 18 says, To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehehuel. Mehehuel was the father of Methushiel, and Methushiel was the father of Lamech, And we see right away in verse 19 then that Lamech married two women. And I take it that the reason that is noted, remember I said as we read scripture to look for clues, I take it that the reason that is noteworthy is that it was the first time it happened. Because as I already referenced in Genesis chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, God set the order of one man and one woman. And that carried on even in Cain's hard heart. And that was the pattern in a common grace. They carried out at least that much of God's order and design in this fallen world. But then Lamech is noteworthy because he begins a people characterized by a culture of moral decline. Or deviance is the word I wanted to use. A culture of moral deviance. Cain characterized by a lifestyle of self reliance, Lamech characterized by a culture of moral or marital deviance. You say, well, what's the big deal? Because this then set a pattern of multiple wives in the Old Testament and it doesn't seem to be condemned, does it? Listen, God lets people go the direction they want to go. You ever notice that? People can get away with a lot, even Christian people. And this guy enters into improper, inappropriate marital relationships and I think it's a statement about the culture and the society of that day not to speak about the des- devastation to the heart of his first wife when he picks up the second wife. That's the first time it ever happened. How would you like to be the second wife? Guy pulls in after work. Old Lamech walks in. Hey, Zilla, here's Ada. Ada, meet Zilla. We're going to set up a system around here. In fact, we're even going to change seven-day week to eight-day week, so it works better. You cook every other night. All right? And if night you don't cook, you wash the dishes. And he begins to twist God's plan. And nothing is said, nothing happens, and God just lets it go. Listen, we live in a culture of moral deviance, don't we? And do you ever stand on the corner of the street and wonder how are the wicked so prosperous? Do you ever stand and wonder how come they're having such a good time and they're so morally deviant? I'll tell you something, because God will let you go. God rarely strikes you down with a lightning bolt immediately. And God has, in many ways, a common grace. The rain falls on the garden of the unjust and the unrighteous and makes their vegetables grow, doesn't it? Just like yours. And that pagan can go take multiple wives, and he can do things that you just, in the inner heart of hearts, it appeals to your flesh, it appeals to your sinful nature, and you say, I'm trying to live for Jesus, and look what that old guy does, and He's, you know, he's got more stuff than I have and his wife's, you know, he's got multiple marriages and he seems so happy or he's not even married and he's going off on weekends. Whatever it is, God will let him go. But listen, remember that their pleasure is but for a season and like the grass, they grow for a while, but then it dries up and withers and there is a day of reckoning. Thirdly, I want you to see that As he moves on here, by the way, thirdly, just looking back at the first two, Cain characterized a lifestyle of self-reliance. Lamech characterizes a culture of moral deviance. And it all adds up at this point in history, a few generations down from Adam and Eve, for what I put down as total disregard for, lack of a better term, biblical obedience. Biblical is representative of what God says. They don't care in Cain's lineage what God says. Do you see that? And our clue is the last verse of the chapter. Look what it says. After finally Seth had a son and named him Enosh, at that time men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I take that to be a clear description of the fact that before that, they couldn't care less about God and what he had instructed and what he said. Do you know any people who don't care beans about what the Bible says today? I'll tell you what, we've got got leadership in our country that doesn't care about the Bible. We've got teachers in our school that don't care about what the Bible says. Our neighbors don't care about what the Bible says. And then you're the goon for caring about what the Bible says. Keep being a goon. Be what God has instructed you to be. Don't be embarrassed of your Bible. Don't be a Cainite. It's very possible to live a highly successful life life, even with multiple wives and even to build a city and to be outside of God's will and to be in disregard for God's word. Notice he lists off the sons of of Lamech, uh, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel, the father of those who live in tents. He he invented tenting and you know, camping. And then he developed farming in the livestock. Remember, at this time, the instruction still would be that they're vegetarian, they're vegan. Whether he did it to produce leather goods and more tents to skin them out, he did all kinds of things. But he capitalized on the products of Cattle farming, cattle including goats and sheep and camels probably and horses and all kinds of things. And maybe they figured out by this time that a steak sizzling on a stick over a fire was pretty good eating. Even though at this time it wasn't part of what God had said to eat. And so he's developing and they are developing and I would put this underneath the common grace of God's goodness, allowing man's intellect. Look, can't godless scientists make real discovery? Of course they can. And in God's common grace, he made us to grow and to learn and to develop. But then he goes down and he says his brother's name was Jubal. He's the father of all who play the harp and the flute. They discovered music and how to make instrumentation. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze, trying to make working for my bread by the sweat of my brow a little bit easier. Let me make a plow and a track. Fighting against the curse is what they're doing. The pain in my heart is eased by Jubal's flute, isn't it? One of the things that I think this does, you know, in the classroom at your school, in the public school system particularly, they're going to teach you that early man was an (laughs) ignorant caveman and drug his wife around by her hair. And a big stick. He walked bow-legged. I'll tell you something, it's the other way around. These people had an intellect and an advancement and an ability to think that close to creation with brain cells. You know how they say you only use 10% of your brain? What if they used 98% of their brain at that point after the curse? I always wondered how in the world do you know you only use 10% of your brain? I don't know about that. I'm not saying I use more than that, but I'm saying how do you prove it, okay? But think about it. They could have easily used 90% of their brain and they were very bright people. They were very intellectual. They were very advanced. We don't know much about the antediluvian culture in society, but we see advancement, don't we? And number four, I would say, is there was a focus in this godless culture on human intelligence, A focus on human intelligence. If we can figure it out, it's right. If we can't figure it out, don't worry about it. That's humanism, it's secularism at its greatest point. Finally, Lamech comes home one day, verse 23. Lamech says to his wives, and in the NIV, it's really clear, it might not be in other translations, the NIV, it's actually in poetical form. He comes home whistling a tune to some poetic words he put together in his mind. He thinks he's clever. It's, it's Hebrew poetry. And Lamech comes home and says, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me. He's proud of himself. He thinks he's hot stuff. He's the man. And he's boasting to his wives that a young man has injured him and he killed him for it. And then he says, because he remembers from oral history, and maybe even written history, that Grandfather Cain, by God, would be avenged seven times if somebody took his life. And he says, and he makes it up himself, and he doesn't say God will do it, but his inference is is that I will take care of myself, and if somebody tries to turn out my lights for doing it, I will avenge myself 77 times. He's saying... Don't mess with Lamech, I'll rip you up. And anytime anybody comes to get me, 77 times over, I can whoop him. He's, he's full of himself. His blood is up. He's killed a man. Maybe he's still got blood on his hands and he's literally boasting about it. Listen, it's the unavoidable end of a culture, isn't it? That is godless. The disrespect for life, the boasting of pride and self and arrogance, And finally, number five, it's a world characterized by brutal violence, isn't it? You want a definition of a godless world? You want a definition of the world in which we live in today? Look at Cain's world. People characterized by a lifestyle of self-reliance. Don't tell me what to do, God. A culture of moral deviance. I'll live any way I want to live, and I'll marry a man, whether the laws say I can or not, or marry a woman, whatever. And you see the moral deviance, and it's unbelievable in our culture. Thirdly, a total disregard for biblical obedience. They don't care what God said. A focus upon human intelligence. We've got it together. We can do this. Fifthly, a world of brutal violence, and nothing is done about it. In fact, let's make a movie about Lamech and let's entertain ourselves with his murdering violence. Yeah, we'll make millions of dollars watching people murder one another. You talk about a culture of brutal violence. You talk about the possibility where the highest office of our land can be occupied by a man who repeatedly fought to kill babies who were alive outside of the womb. And that's a fact and nothing is said about it, and nothing is done about it, what is wrong with us? I'll tell you what's wrong with us. We're godless. We're godless. And listen, if God's people live godlessly, what kind of trouble are we in? Listen, it's a time to humble ourselves before the Lord, isn't it? It is a time to recognize that it is entirely possible for me to be pressed into the mold of the world and to live my entire life and to turn around and realize that I've been living it in self-reliance. I've been living it in moral deviance. I've been living it depending upon my human intelligence and that I really don't care what God has said. And that's exactly what Cain and his descendants did. And then one day came along a man who had a son. And after that day, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. The day to call upon the name of the Lord, isn't it? Let's bow in prayer. We examine your heart this morning and just ask yourself, how humble are you really in the presence of Almighty God and how much do you really care about what he said and And when you observe the prosperity of the wicked, do you sometimes doubt the reality of God and his word? But you have to recognize entire generations, generation after generation after generation, can live freely without God and seemingly be successful. But then the day comes when they look in the eyes of God, like we read in Luke, and he says, you fool, today your soul will be accounted for. And what good is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? Are we right with God today? Are we humble in his presence? Are we walking in obedience? Are we willing to just take his Bible at its word, even if they mock us on a stand in a courtroom? Who do we think we are? Father, humble our hearts today. Help us to take the message to heart and apply it as needed through your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name.